Welcome to the Productivity Podcast, first one of 2023, and I'm delighted to be joined by Ricardo Belmar, who is the lead partner marketing advisor at retail for Microsoft, also a general retail tech advisor and host the Retail Razor Show. Hi, um, Ricardo. Yeah, how are you? Thanks for having me, Simon. And that's not a British accent <laughs> I detect. So that's where, where are you true. based? So I am based in the States, as you might guess, uh, just outside the Washington, D.C. area in Maryland. Excellent. And time of recording, warm, cold, we're, snow, We're sort of snow. in an odd in-between state this week where we've had a slightly warmer than usual winter week, but with a lot of drizzly and dreary rain. But it uh, looks like this weekend we're about to go back down to our normal cold status. Cool. So you've got typical <laughs> British right. yeah, winter weather of, drizzly. It is kind of like that from my many visits to London well, in December and January. <laughs> yeah, welcome, exactly. welcome to our world. Welcome to our world. So we're going to have a chat today about um, retail, emerging retail technology, all, all the kind of things that you're seeing over there, do some comparisons with how it works in, in the UK and Europe, see what's different. But before we get into the detail and looking forward to the conversation, can you give us a career biog? Tell us a bit about you, about roles you've done, what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. So for the most part, my background has been uh, very much in the, the uh, technology area as either uh product marketing area or a product management focus. I started out uh, many, many years ago, I'll refrain from saying how, just how many, but many years ago, uh, working in some product areas for a managed service provider here in, in the States. And uh, one of our largest customer bases, of course, happened to be the retail industry, probably about 40% or so of our customers. So I really got to know uh, that industry fairly well. Uh, I ended up leading both product marketing and product management for that organization, introduced a number of managed services for retailers, things like you know, ranging from data connectivity to security to digital signage to uh, employee training solutions, uh, uh, managed Wi-Fi, a pretty wide range of things. Uh, from there, I spent some time working for a uh, uh, an application performance management uh, software company where I was leading their product marketing. Uh, it was actually a European company. I was introducing them into the U.S. market. And again, very much focused on the retail industry. Uh, so I probably spent the last two decades or so uh, pretty squarely focused on this retail industry and delivering technology to it, whether it might be in the store to in backend functions. And now in my current role at Microsoft, where I lead uh, partner marketing, I work with a lot of uh, really interesting partner companies with cloud-based solutions for things like supply chain management to e-commerce platforms to uh, you know store teams management to all, all kinds of uh, optimized solutions that are all cloud-based you know to really help retailers gain efficiency in their operations and to really help manage their workforce excellent so retail is a big key thread through all those roles which is good because that's what we like talking about and we're going to talk about kind of retail technology trends emerging technology and i suppose in in the backdrop of current economic climate which is impacting the the world um retailers are looking for efficiencies they're also looking for i think initiative um, creative ways to hook customers through technology through social whatever that might be so there's probably never never been a time where people are trying new tech 
creating new tech, thinking about new and inventive ways to do things. So in in your world, what kind of things are you seeing? Are, are there key themes? Are there trends? Is it a bit of a scattergun approach or is it more kind of focused? I, you know, I, kind of as you said, there's just a lot happening in retail technology right now. In fact, it's you know it, it's funny the way you, you brought it up and, and kind of introduced this because the way I always close things out on, on my podcast, on the Retail Razor Show, we always talk about how there's never been a better time to be in, in retail technology because there's such a need for improvement. And when you couple that with things that are happening around the world now, economically, and, and the times that we're in, uh, technology really is a driver for retail to gain that operational efficiency, both to help them introduce new things for, to improve top line revenue, but also to help reduce costs and then to directly impact that bottom line. Um, so I'll, I'll mention a few of the big trends that I'm seeing that I think are having the biggest impact right now. Uh, of all the things that I look at and, and talk to with retailers, I think that probably the biggest thing I see now are this surge in retail media networks and this idea of retailers now pursuing B2B services revenue where they're getting better margin on revenue where they serve other brands, uh, particularly let's assume we're talking about retailers that sell a lot of third-party products, uh, whether it's through their e-commerce channel or through their stores. And this idea of now essentially chasing what Amazon has done so well in recent years, and that's selling ad capacity on their e-commerce platform to all the brands that are uh, delivering products there uh, to really get customers to, to buy and to find and discover their product. And this has just been, you know, I think throughout 2022, you probably couldn't turn around in any given week of the year without hearing about a new retail media network another retailer was introducing. Uh, it just seems like the, there's no end to how many of these there are. Uh, and what I find most interesting about this trend is that we're not just focused on doing this on their e-commerce sites now. I, I would say that the best retailers and ones most likely to succeed with their media network are the ones that are connecting the dots between ad units they have on uh, product search pages on their e-commerce site or their marketplace, but also working with in-store advertising and, and other other media networks that they can manage for the brands and kind of almost to the point where that retailer is becoming their, their agency that's helping them manage the uh, media buys. Uh, I think those are the ones that we're going to see more and more of this year. Um, I'm seeing more technology solutions that help retailers not only run that kind of a media platform, but also to help optimize it and gain additional efficiencies in working with those external connection points uh, that, that the better retailers need for that. So that that for me right now is probably the top, top trend. So becoming more than a retailer, in effect, that uh, yeah. B2B space, as you talk about, which makes complete sense when you explain it like that. I hadn't, hadn't really thought about it in that way. But yeah, it, it opens up a whole new bunch of customers, doesn't it? Right. That they've already got the product right. and the platform. And then there's some interesting nuances to it. So if you look at, uh, you know, particularly for the media networks and grocery uh, stores where traditionally the, the CPG companies that have product there, there's a lot of trade promotions that kind of shift the dollars back and forth for promotion between the CPG brand and, and the retailer. And uh, you know, a lot of folks, when you look at these media networks, are rightly asked an immediate question, which is, well, aren't we just shifting the same pool of money around a little bit that we would have otherwise been used for trade promotion, but now we're using it for these media buys? Is it really just a way for the retailer to get some of that money back 
uh, in a sense, and, and, and what really will, will the CPGs and other brands uh, think about these? Because at some point, there probably has to be a limit for a given brand as to how many media networks can they actually buy capacity into to promote their products. Uh, so, so we'll see how this shapes up. I, I personally think that uh, we may even see a new form of, of aggregator come around that or third party. Uh, if anything else, there should be a, a tremendous agency opportunity here to help brands manage retail media networks in addition to more traditional uh, media networks that they've always been buying space in. Yeah, yeah, an opportunity for, sure. for someone to cash in for sure. And what about kind of more tangible things in stores? So over here, we're seeing a big rise in the use mm-hmm. of electronic shelf edge labels. I know in, in Europe, it's been around for a while because of more legis- right. legislative right. Um, needs. Uh, mm-hmm. RFID has been, and we've talked about both of these right. things for years, become a lot more prevalent, certainly in fashion because of the, the economy of scale in terms right. of stock counting accuracy. Um and I suppose the other thing we're seeing more here is I'd call it colleague technology. So not necessarily giving them new devices or handheld terminals, but letting them use their own device, but giving them apps so that they can use their own device or the devices they're given to be as empowered as the customer that walks in with their iPhone or Android phone. Yeah, no, no doubt. In fact, I think all of the things you just listed are, to me are particularly interesting because that's where we start to see differences emerging in different regions around the world. So if we, when we start to compare, for example, US and Canada to the UK and, and the rest of Europe, we, that's where we start to see differences. I think the electronic shelf labels, as you mentioned, has have certainly been more popular to date throughout Europe than they have in the US and maybe in Canada. Um, I expect that's going to change. I think there are new motivations. I think previously it's been the cost that has demotivated retailers from wanting to use those uh, in, in yep big quantities in the U.S., but I think that uh, pricing in general has just become such a, a big concern across the board for retailers, whether it's because of inflation or just general economic conditions, that that ability to really be dynamic and agile in adjusting your pricing, there, there's some pretty sizable advantages to having electronic shelf labels for that. Um, and RFID is an interesting one. I, I feel like Many people are always saying, you know, this is going to be the year, right? This is the year when we're going to see more and more adoption of that, uh, primarily because what, what what does every retailer really want to achieve? And that's as close as possible to 100% inventory control and understanding exactly what's in stock versus out of stock. Uh, and, and the more precision every retailer has on that, the better all of the other customer experiences are going to trickle out from that. Um, you know, m- most studies will find that what's the number one issue on the consumer side is finding things that are out of stock when they want it. And best way for a retailer to know if they're truly out of stock, or maybe they have an item that they just can't find in the store, or maybe it's in another nearby store and they can get it for that customer. RFID for me is is one of the technologies that can offer so much help in gaining that inventory control uh, versus anything retailers have done before that has, let's face it, been a very manual kind of process that's just very error prone. Yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of that in the UK more around some defensive strategies. So because of the economic climate, mm-hmm. shrinkage is up. So there's more shoplifting, right. more stock loss, internal and external. So uh, it helps 
I suppose, minimize, as you said, that where is the stock or understanding what's not there and, and has it right. worked out without paying, uh, but, also, but also reinforces the if I'm going to publish my stock file online, it needs to be more accurate than ever. Otherwise, I just exactly, enable exactly. disappointment. And, and I think there, there has been, I think there's a number of retailers, particularly in the US and maybe more so, who have possibly been a, a bit fearful of the added or incremental cost in leveraging RFID and have been looking at a lot of technology providers kind of hinting at them that, you know, maybe computer vision will solve this problem for you. You can just skip over RFID in some way. And I think there've been some retailers that want are experimenting with that and want to try it out with their new use cases around autonomous stores and just general frictionless retail that lean heavily on computer vision. I, I think as with a lot of these new technologies, the big hurdle to overcome is just cost. Um, you know, when we yeah. think about RFID, I, lots of people have different viewpoints. You know, I could argue on a per unit per SKU cost, maybe RFID is pretty cost effective and not that expensive. It's really a function of scale. If you're a retailer and you have, you know, a hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of different SKUs because you're a large grocery, for example, um, you start to worry about any incremental cost because your margins are already slim. In apparel, I think the example you gave is where this makes a lot of sense, especially when there are so many specialty retailers that have that vertical integration and control over their their product and, and supply chain where it's easier potentially to leverage RFID. Uh, and then you don't need to worry about computer vision, which I, I would claim today is still a little bit expensive. Although if you go the route of computer vision, for example, uh, from this perspective of solving your inventory control problem, you, you are potentially gaining other use cases that you can leverage from computer vision that might help you, whether it's uh, as basic as loss prevention or whether it's some way that can help your your store staff uh, do things more productively, more efficiently, because you can take advantage of, of extra computer vision processing. There are a lot of other possibilities that are open from that. Yeah, 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 interesting times, and as you say, it's it's been the year of RFID and electronic shelf edge labels. Last <laughs> yeah, year, probably for the, the last before, ten years. <laughs> the year before that, so yeah, so so, and I get it, I get it. It's it, it, they're both significant costs. I think there's a foundational element to how you may operate for me of how that unlocks lots of future initiatives, whether that be cost saving, uh, price compliance, dynamic pricing, uh, stock control so again it depends whether you're focusing on the here and now which i think economically a lots of organizations will be more short-termism in the next right. six to 12 18 months but actually the world doesn't stop turning and at some point it will become the hygiene factor that as consumers we expect as plcs and boards they expect that to be in place because it's just part of the norm yeah and, and i think also that uh you know if we, if we look at retail brands that are that we would consider leaders uh be, be, most of them are leaders because they look at technology investment differently than other retailers that are perhaps either lagging or, or suffering in terms of sales and, and top line revenue or that they uh, you know can't get their costs down because they haven't made the, that long-term technology investment that was necessary at the right time to get those gains when, when you need them I think, for example, now in the conditions we're at, uh, I, I could probably make a pretty strong argument that customer loyalty is at higher risk now uh, than it has in the past. You know, we, we've always known that when things are out of stock and, and the store doesn't have what you want or the retailer can't deliver, that impacts customer loyalty. You know, a customer will be more inclined to switch to another retailer to find what they want. But 
now we've, we've kind of come through this era the last few years where convenience all around was probably the number one factor that drove that customer loyalty. Uh, and that meant consumers became used to a lot of convenience factors. And it turns out that for retailers to deliver most of the convenience capabilities consumers want, it requires a pretty meaningful technology investment to not just get it right. Uh, and by getting right, I mean doing it in a way that enhances that customer experience versus hinders it, but also gets it right in a cost-effective way. A lot of retailers during the pandemic invested in technology to quickly and rapidly deliver these kind of conveniences consumers wanted, and they worried less about the operational efficiency. So now those retailers are coming around and saying, well, I need to really focus on that piece of it because I can't continue to support this high cost approach to deliver conveniences that I can't take them away now from my customers because customers will, you know, will drop their loyalty to me and go somewhere else. And if there's probably one area that where this, I think, is surfacing more and more, uh, especially now as we're coming out of a holiday season, it's around returns uh, and, and customers returning merchandise because, um, you know, my typical favorite example in, in apparel, right, uh, customer who doesn't go and buy in the store, but they order it online, you know, they may order two or three different sizes because they don't know which one's going to be the right one. And then they return the others. Uh, and this is becoming a massive problem for retailers in general. And, uh, you know, we're seeing retailers now who are experimenting with what if I go back to charging for returns? I, I would predict, I think pretty reliably that most consumers are going to reject that and will just switch their loyalties to someone else if they're put in a position where they don't get those returns for free. No, I agree, and we're seeing that over here. So I think I can't recall off the top of my head. There's a couple of retailers post Christmas who've announced they're going to start charging for right. returns. So lot, lots over here. I mean, I'm that typical person you've described. I'm, if I'm not quite sure of the size of the jeans, right. I'll order the size right. above, below, and the one I normally have because you know what the cost isn't with me because I know I'll get my money back for the two I don't want. The cost is with the retailer to pick it to send it. They probably give me a free returns label or let me drop it off at store. Therefore. I inherit some inconvenience, but actually they inherit the cost in two areas, which um, clearly is a, is a big margin burn. So, yeah, I agree. Cost of cost of delivery, transport, I think, will, will increase. Cost of return will increase, which ultimately will drive that behavior down. Or, as you say, elsewhere, if you're a particular brand that only sells through their brand channel, then you've probably got a monopoly and the customer has some choices to switch brand or they have to buy into it, but it, it may well become more of the norm. That's than, right. Than yeah, no, absolutely. So you, you kind of, to summarize that part of the conversation, lots of investment into the customer focus side over the, the pandemic and coming out. And now you're kind of thinking that there'll be more on the internal colleague process because actually we've already set the customer up in a, in a relatively good place. With the tech. I think for that's most retailers, that's going to be true. I think obviously it's always really difficult to generalize these things across the industry because there, there's a big, I think there's a big divide between um, your retailers that we could call the haves versus the have nots, right? Where retailers that had were yep. making those investments in technology earlier are in a much better position right now where they can step back and say, I've delivered the things my consumers and customers want. Now I can focus on that internal operational efficiency without losing customers. Whereas the ones that were either late making the investment or didn't make it at all are now really caught in a bind because if they could lose customers, if they're not investing in the customer focused, 
capabilities versus those internal ones. So they may have to find a better balance between the two to kind of minimize any negative impact on their on their customers that way. Yeah, absolutely. So it's always easier to kind of be just behind the curve, isn't it, than try and catch up because the cost becomes incremental and sometimes unpalatable, especially when economic conditions as, as, right. as, yeah, are, as they are. So we'd all love a crystal ball and we probably would forecast the, the lottery numbers if if we had one. But if we cast our minds forward kind of five, ten years, what what do you think the retail technology landscape looks like then? Is there going to be just more of the same and people honing this technology or will there be some big breakthrough in some other um, technology? Stream? I would say there's, there's certainly going to be a significant amount of evolution in what we're seeing today that's just going to get better in terms of uh, the type of experience and convenience delivered to the customer, better in terms of the cost efficiency for the retailer to deliver that experience. Uh, I think there's some wild cards, and that's maybe the best way I would describe it. So probably the biggest wild card that gets most of the hype is the metaverse. You know, what will the impact be five years from now of the metaverse? Um, this past year, we saw, I'd say, a fair amount of experimentation uh, from brands and retailers are just feeling out what will customers accept. Now, I think uh, news reports probably m- maybe overemphasize some of the coverage of these things because I think in the end, what we find is that there are very few consumers who are embracing this enough to genuinely try it out other than for curiosity. So I think most of these experiments that we call successful, that it may be too early to really claim that they are successful. I think for a number of customers, uh, you know, certainly if we look at what the media focuses on, the, the virtual reality nature of the metaverse seems to always get the most attention. I, I kind of find that at least today, the equipment that we're asking a consumer to use to enter that virtual reality space is probably too cumbersome, too clunky, and and difficult to consume and enjoy for lengthy periods of time. So if you're asking a customer to do this for maybe 30 minutes versus three hours, that's probably okay. But I, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find consumers who are willing to say, I'm just going to hang out in the metaverse for the next three to five hours of the day uh, without feeling a little bit clunky, overwhelmed. In many cases, I think people get disoriented wearing these things. So I'm not sure that that's the direction it will go in. I personally think that uh, the use of augmented reality technologies are what's really going to advance in these next five to 10 years to the point where we've seen bits and pieces of examples of this. I think I would say the most popular example has been in the furniture category where I want to you know, see what a piece of furniture looks like in my home and I can use through AR capabilities, either a smartphone or a tablet or something that lets me see it on the screen, what it would look like in my environment. I think if we advance that technology even further uh, and just think of overlaying any kind of augmented reality anywhere that a consumer goes, uh, and hopefully not in the sense that we just get bombarded with advertisements like we've seen in the movies, because that might be more of, of a negative scenario for people. But I think there are lots of things retailers could come up with leveraging AR technology in the next well, let's say, you know, as you said, five to 10 years that will really enhance and improve the shopping experience for consumers. So I would look to that. And then um, the other thing I think will really change, you know, if we go back to the early days of mobile phones, right, we saw how that changed how people shop and how people buy because they have access to uh, all these digital channels through their smartphone. I think that's going to continue to evolve. Uh, and, and I see more reference now to this concept of anywhere commerce, where uh, 
it doesn't have to be limited to my smartphone. I think we're going to see more and more integration into cars, um, potentially maybe even in public transport and other areas where consumers are typically finding themselves where your personal device isn't necessarily what's required, but there'll be some element of technology that creates an ability for you to experience commerce no matter what you're doing and where you are, much more so than we have the ability to do now, where for the most part, we're all tied to a smartphone to do that uh, today. So I think that's a big area of improvement. And there's probably some overlap there between what the metaverse can enable and this idea of an anywhere type of commerce that creates these really immersive experiences where the act of buying something for the consumer will, will just start to feel even more natural to the point where it's just something you do. It's not a specific thing you go out and say, I need to go shopping for something. I need to go buy something. You're, you're just going to do it. Yeah, I've, the metaverse, I've not probably quite got my head around mm-hmm. living in it, if that makes sense. Um, and it, there's things, isn't there? There's crypto, there's right. NFTs, there's all there's all those other bits which sit around and, and support that. I, yeah, absolutely augmented reality, 100%. Get that, can you know conceptually see it and as you said certainly the furniture industry flooring where you can overlay in your room and you can see how that works is a a massive step forward um i suppose the the doom and gloom merchants would say well it's all going to implode the internet will close down and we'll all be back to cash (laughs) i'm not 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 an advocate of that that view at all but yeah somewhere in the middle and and i i wonder if the kind of whole payment piece will be more driven by an increased consciousness of personal data and security. So whether it becomes, I don't know, a chip on the end of your finger, retina, whatever it might be, but something that's so personal, we don't need that device because there's always that concern of who's doing what with my data, who can access that data, is there a breach of that data? You know, we've seen various big organizations have ransomware attacks over the last 12, 18 months. So I don't know, in the back of my mind, I'm wondering whether personal data and security drives some of the leaps in that area and pushes the technology rather than the technology pushing us. I I think it does. Um, You know, I have to agree there's much more visibility by consumers now into their personal data and what happens to it, Uh, especially as we get into younger demographics, there's more awareness of these things. So I think just the natural flow of time is going to cause people to be much more aware of these things and be much more concerned and directly wanting to take action about it versus just being passive, as I think for the most part we've all been in uh, up until now and just uh, waiting for the technology to fix things for us. Whereas I think we're going to find people want to take an active role in ensuring that it, they have that control, they have that security. Um, I, I'd like to think that as over time people become more self-educated about what the implications are and what these different components of the technology actually mean, that it becomes harder for the platforms and organizations that are running those technologies to take advantage of people in a sense. I think, you know, we could argue that uh, the quick rise of, of social media platforms, for example, are what really brought this idea of what's happening to your data to the forefront uh, and caused people to be more aware about it. Um, I'm not sure the balance has been found yet. I, I think that's, this is what I find interesting because most retailers will find when they look at their demographic segments and ask the question, well, do, which demographic is more tolerant of what I can do and learn from their data versus others? They're still, I think, finding discrepancies there where they, it's tough to generalize and say, if younger generations are more aware of this, are they more willing 
to let me use their data or less willing than older generations that have less awareness. Um, and, and there seems to be a lot of variability in that. So I, I think a lot of these things come back to what do we mean by brand loyalty? Well, how does a consumer define loyalty to any sort of brand or retailer or, or business in general, frankly, when looking through that lens of personal data? Uh, what impact does that have and how you leverage that loyalty and apply it? I think that's what organizations are really going to have to look at. And as you said, I think the technology is not going to be able to continue to drive that. The technology is going to have to be the tool that allows the retailer or the brand to act on it in a way that satisfies their customers. Absolutely. And kind of just just before we close, where does the kind of store colleague of the future sit in all of that is... Is it one size fits all or, or do you think we're going to start to see retailers shape it by different formats, scenarios, brands within brands, as we talked about the B2B stuff earlier? Yeah, I, I tend to think that we're going to see uh, more development in terms of skill sets for store teams uh, and store employees and as well as uh, you know, retailers doing more with varying store formats, which again is going to cause a change in what the skills need to be for those, those store teams. I, I think the the issues we've seen around labor shortages, which I think appears to still be common across geographies, I don't see those going away anytime soon. And that means that retailers have to find ways for these job roles to be more enticing for people to want those jobs. Uh, I've, I've given examples in the, in the past, uh, you know, in conversations about live streaming, for example, where I, I can see retailers looking to have specific roles within their store teams of who owns the live stream. You know, they're, you're going to have certain individuals that are really good at running live streams that cause lots of customers to buy things. And that's going to be something that, you know, a, a store team, a store frontline worker puts on a resume that says, Hey, I, I know how to drive live streams and increase conversion that way versus just, I know how to operate the point of sale. Uh, I think those types of skills are going to become more important. We're going to see more variety in those skills. I think retailers are also, uh, this is sort of like our discussion about the RFID is that it, how many times has it been the year of the RFID? I've, I've seen before where so many years we've said this is the year that retailers will invest in their store teams and training and technology and things. I think now we're finally at a point where the retailers have no choice. If they don't do this, the jobs won't be enticing enough that they won't draw the workforce in that they need to have to deliver the customer experience they want. And yes, there's a lot of debate right now around automation and autonomous stores and does can retailers use those technologies to eliminate labor in the store i i still take the viewpoint that the end goal there is not necessarily to just flat out eliminate labor in the store it's eliminating certain job functions so that the limited labor that the retailer may be capable of hiring for their store can be focused on much more valuable customer focused activities than the less valuable time consuming and tedious tasks that they can just eliminate through automation and technology. Exciting times then if you're working on the front line is, is the summary. I, I hope so. I certainly hope so. I think that uh, across the world, the, the pandemic has really highlighted what that environment has been like for frontline workers, especially in, in retail environments where I think most people took for granted that those are just people who will always be there when you need them. And now I think people view that in a different light when they realize that if, if not for those frontline workers and having kept these stores running during the pandemic, that would have been a lot harder for everyone to get those essential supplies and things they needed uh, just to continue to exist and, and survive the pandemic. 
agree absolutely so i think we we could talk all day because we share lots of um common thoughts and maybe some slightly different ones which is always good to to chew over but if we pause there final question from me which everybody gets on the podcast is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given? oh that's a, a great question uh, i i would say you know the best advice has always been to know when to listen versus when to speak uh, and i say that in the context of anyone who has to uh, engage in, in customer meetings in a business environment you really needs to take to heart knowing when to listen to your customer versus when to speak to them and tell them things where you're you're hopefully you're asking more questions than you are making statements because the customer is inevitably always going to know more about what they need than you do so if you're not listening to them then you're you're not likely to meet their needs in the long run so so that for me has always been the the most significant piece of, of business advice is knowing when to listen yeah, love that one. And we'll put in the show notes, link to your LinkedIn profile if people want to reach out and a link to the Retail Razor show. So again, I'd urge people to kind of log on, subscribe to the channels there and, and listen to your podcast as well. Any other channels you want people to contact you? Yeah, those, are, those, those are the best ones. I'm, I'm most accessible via LinkedIn. Uh, I would say, you know, you can also find me on Twitter. It's Ricardo underscore Belmar. Uh, so I'm also active there. Amazing. Ricardo, I know you're a busy man. Really appreciate your time and your thoughts today. It's been great to catch All right, up. Thanks, Simon. It's a great pleasure.